0: Welcome! This is Out of the Ordinary Books, where we believe that the books we read help us better understand the lives we lead. I'm Lisa Jo Baker.
1: And I'm Christy Purifoy, and every week we share an out-of-the-ordinary book and how it can help you make sense of your story, too.
0: These aren't book reviews or recommendations. These are conversations about some of our best friends, worst enemies, toughest coaches, most passionate lovers, and kindest teachers that line our bookshelves.
1: We hope these conversations help you see the deeper story hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Well, listeners, I am ahead of you today <laughs> because Lisa Joe has already told me about the friend she's bringing to our conversation. <laughs> and Lisa Joe, it took me straight back. To uh, a few years ago in our friendship, I have a vivid memory of you and Peter bringing the whole clan, the whole Baker clan up to Mabelhurst. And it must have been soon after we moved. Yeah. Um, it may have even been that first Christmas that you guys spent with us. It may have been that Christmas visit. Um, but even if it wasn't, it was, it was around that time. And I remember us sitting in the family
0: room here was, at Maplehurst. And it was because it was still the dining room back then. So like yes. you hadn't switched rooms. We hadn't switched the room. What is yeah. now your dining room was then your family room. I remember uh-huh. vividly sitting in that room. And I remember there was like a coffee table. I feel like that always would break. There was some furniture in there that like if you put your feet on... Really? How bizarre. There's some piece of furniture. I can't remember what it was. (laughs) Oh, you're right. We had like that Ottoman. It did have, yeah, it was
1: starting to break, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's (laughs) funny. I'd forgotten that. And I remember, so all the kids were young then. Right. And we managed to get them in bed, which is this great thing you get to do when your kids are little. (laughs) They they go to bed before you do. (laughs) Now my teens stay up later than I do. But I remember all the kids must have been in bed and, uh, me and Jonathan and you and Peter were in that family room, and we introduced you to our new favorite comedian, and in particular, one clip in this new TV special he had. And um, I know the reason that this was really <laughs> fun for us then is that Elsa had just been born, so we had a new baby, and we had four kids now. Mm. Um, And so we said, Oh, Bakers, you have to watch Jim Gaffigan with us. (laughs) (laughs) You have to watch Jim Gaffigan. And you have to watch this particular clip in his TV special where he talks about the time when he and his wife um, uh, added their fourth child. And he says, I'll always remember it. This is what it's like. You want to know what it's like to have four kids? Imagine you're drowning. (laughs) <laughs> Someone hands you a baby. <laughs> and John and I at the time, of course, so excited to have Elsa in the
0: family. But also, you know, you feel like you're drowning. Yep. And <laughs> now you have a baby to take care of. <laughs> I remember that night so vividly. And I, I'm i not sure why or how, what stage I was at, but I was in the end stages of overcoming some pretty severe bronchitis that i had had at the time. And I remember, you know, if you've had something like that, especially a lung infection, I had coughed severely. And I remember I had really bad pain, like in my stomach Mm. muscles from just nights and nights and nights of hacking and coughing and just a lot of pain. And I had had a I was coming out of it. I was on the tail end. I wasn't coughing so much, but I still had like these very sore stomach muscles. I remember it vividly. And I remember when we sat down to watch that movie, it was such a wonderful, terrible experience because (laughs) I laughed so hard that my stomach hurt. And I remember there was one point where I vividly had to ask Jonathan, like I was begging him to pause the show. (laughs) Because I was laughing so hard. I couldn't actually get breath. Like I couldn't breathe in because I was laughing so hard out. And you're right. I think we were in the throes of delirium of parenting at that stage Mm -hmm. where you just feel like it's so overwhelming. We had seven kids between us. Mm -hmm. We were just like surviving. It was just a survival mode we were all in. And I will never forget. I feel like Jonathan was He started out on the edge of the sofa and like toward the end was almost on the floor. He was like <laughs> laughing and Peter was laughing so hard. We couldn't inhale. It was <laughs> the most life affirming experience I had had in terms of parenting. I think it was the first time I had really heard someone talk about parenting in such a way that it wasn't just, oh, the glorious miracle of being a parent. <laughs> you know, like they were poking at the underbelly, and every story he told was so relatable. I was like, that's my life. He just described yeah. my life again. And I think his ability to make fun of himself, like how he talks about himself as being so pasty and pale and overweight, and you know, how he was a narcissist his whole life, and now he has children and he's still trying to be a narcissist. Like he's still <laughs> trying to put himself first, but he can't. <laughs> So all of that to say, after we watched that, I got online, looked him up and saw he had a book coming out and bought it immediately. And that is the book that I have for us today. And I just think sometimes you need a good laugh. And that is one of those days. So we've had some beautiful, (laughs) introspective, deep literature-type conversations. And welcome to Friday, friends, because today, even though I know it's a Wednesday for you, but we hope you get that vibe (laughs) in the middle of the week. Um, The book today is called Dad is Fat by Jim Gaffigan.
1: (laughs) I'm already laughing.
0: (laughs) And we laugh about that a lot, especially in our house, because our teenagers, our teenage sons particularly, are incredibly fit, incredibly concerned about their fitness, and now have parents who are in their late 40s. You know, I think about that book, The Velveteen Rabbit, that talks about becoming real. But that's like this very poetic version of it. But I also think there's a Jim Gaffigan version where you (laughs) just become like, it's not just that you're so much frayed at the edges, but your edges are like starting to split a little bit. And everything (laughs) has gotten loosey-goosey and a little flabby around the middle. and you, You also, I find, Christy, tell me if this is you, You lose the ability to care. Like when I go to Walmart or Target, I just, who cares what I'm wearing or if I have makeup? I just, I no longer feel concerned about how other people perceive me. It's very empowering. And I know it's bad when sometimes we'll get out the car and my teenage son, you know, peak 16-year-old, he's about to turn 16, will just look at me and go, wow, mom, wow. And then you know it's bad. You've really humiliated him somehow.
1: I feel like there must be something of God's perfect design in this, in that um teenagers, of course, or yes. you know, tweens like Zoe are just ripe for embarrassment yes. all the time, right? And at yes. the same time, they're they're trying to pull away from their parents. And all of this is happening in their lives exactly when we have reached a point in our lives where we do
0: <laughs> not, not care. care. That's I've we never not that be, be bothered. Connection. That is genius. <laughs> you are yeah. so right. Yeah. Maybe it's God's grace too, because teenagers Teenagers, oh my gosh! Like if we took everything about them seriously, we'd lose our right. minds because they right. take themselves yeah. so seriously. And yeah, so, yeah, I think one of Peter Me's favorite things is to just embarrass them by being like, you know, kissing or hugging or dancing. Oh, that is the worst <laughs> for them. Like you know, like slow dancing in the kitchen. To me, I mean, you would think they were like witnessing a car accident when they walk <laughs> past that. It's so funny. Or the other thing we love to do is. There's a glass door. Our boys have a, have glass on their bedroom door. And when Jackson would be sitting at his computer during online school, me and Peter would love to just come stand at that door and just make out like in front of the glass <laughs> while he's like on a Zoom call. <laughs> just, oh, that's hilarious. Oh, so funny. It's so funny. So I think... I discovered Jim Gaffigan when our kids were little, and now that they're teenagers, he's still applicable. And when we started this podcast, I knew right away I was bringing Dad is Fat to the conversation. Um, This phrase, Dad is Fat, is something one of his children naturally wrote about him. (laughs) They did a drawing and gave it to him, and then they had written in their childish handwriting, Dad is Fat, at the bottom as like the title of the picture, (laughs) The piece of art uh, they presented him with. <laughs> Nothing more humbling than <laughs> truth telling children. <laughs> oh, and so I'm when a few weeks ago when I was thinking about this book, I went and got it off the shelf and I was sitting Pete and I were resting. This is the other thing. As you become older, like we need to rest in the afternoons. <laughs> like that has become a thing now. Whether yeah. we sleep or not, we retire to the bedroom and just like lie there in the dark with the fan on and sometimes we talk, sometimes we don't, sometimes we nap. And I was like, Peter, I just have to read you a little part from Dad is Fat again. And I I tried to read it to him, but I couldn't get words out because <laughs> I was crying with laughter so hard. And the funny thing is, because he knows the story, he was anticipating. So it was one of those beautiful moments of longtime marriage nonverbal communication where I wasn't even reading it, Christy. I would say like a few words and then we would both laugh for five minutes <laughs> without me ever getting to the punchline. And our teenagers came in and, of course, tried to understand what was happening. And we we're like, we're laughing at how weird it is being your parents. Ha, ha, ha. And they would just roll their eyes and walk out of the room. You know? <laughs> but before we started, I wanted to say to those of you listening who aren't parents... We, of course, want our conversations to feel relevant to everybody, and I think what's beautiful about this book (laughs) is that it's a reminder that all of us in life will have expectations about how something will be, and all of us will be surprised, disappointed, shocked, disoriented (laughs) by how that thing actually is, (laughs) and I think one of the beauties of parenting, but Really, anything that you go through in life, whether it's a really hard learning curve in a job or in a relationship, or um, adjusting to another country—you know—I think about that Mm -hmm. sometimes. Traveling, being in other cultures, there's always a perception on the outside of how you think something will be, Mm -hmm. and you're—it's easy as human beings to presume we know and to sort of judge. And it's not even judge. It's like to draw conclusions about other people's experience based on how we perceive their experience should be or might be. Mm-hmm. And then, however, <laughs> when we have that experience ourselves, we realize, oh, that's why they were so tired or so upset or so frustrated or so happy or whatever the thing is. It's about figuring out how to walk around in somebody else's shoes. And I, the section I want to read is so genius because – he he starts out in this book, and it's a vignette of stories. So it's a lot of little short essays about parenting, about what it's like to be a parent, you know. Um, and they're called things like "You Win McDonald's" and <laughs> <laughs> "On the Road Again" and Eskimo Pies and Circumcision <laughs> and Oh My Word, You're Pregnant and A Critical Analysis of Children's Literature. <laughs> You can imagine what that is. Yeah. So it's just like this vignette of stories that are kind of capturing the day-to-day of the shocking reality of being a parent. It's not just the beautiful reality. It can be very shocking. And I'll just say, and I wondered if you had a, a similar moment, Christy, before I read this piece. So I remember thinking before I became a parent, I would look at those magazines, the parenting magazines. And you start to get those in your mailbox after you've maybe signed up for a prenatal class or you've done the baby registry. And now these companies have your address and they start sending you magazines or mailers or emails or whatever. And I remember looking at these magazines and in the ad spreads, so say now you have like a Johnson & Johnson baby product picture in this ad. And there's a mom, and she is just reclining on a sofa, and her hair is beautiful, like she looks like all the pregnancy hormones have done the thing pregnancy hormones was supposed to do, and she has long, flowing, lush hair, and then she's dressed, of course, in this like beautiful, soft, flowy. You know, pajamas that are so precious. And then she has a baby lying on her chest, just gurgling up at her. And the two of them are staring into each other's eyes, just laughing. And it's precious. And there's probably a fan blowing her hair. And I used to think that's what it's like. This is what it will be like to be a parent. I really believed that I would have those moments. And I vividly remember lying on a couch, you know, postpartum, where you're still wearing basically a diaper yourself. Your hair hasn't been washed in days. The baby, if it's making eye contact with you, it's because it just threw up all over you and now you're covered and spit up and all it wants is to nurse again. And there's no shared mutual tenderness in that moment. It's a survival look that you're both giving each other. And that was just (laughs) such an awakening for me to what I thought parenthood would be like. I have same stories about marriage or about raising teenagers or about even owning a home, you know, things I thought would be romantic. Instead, like we talked about last week, are just a bunch of weeds, you know, just right. constant <laughs> maintenance is how it feels. <laughs> I wondered if you had a moment like that where parenting jumped out of the jack-in-the-box box and just scared the bejesus out of you.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Becoming a mom was like… uh a profound earthquake <laughs> in my life in every way. But yeah, just, you know, one little tidbit is I can remember before my firstborn came along, like how much I loved, um, setting up her little drawers and her little closet in our Chicago apartment and just how pretty all the little baby girl clothes were and, um, uh, you know, washing them for the first time because they would tell you, you know, you need to launder them first <laughs> and before you ever put them on your precious baby and so laundering the the clothing and, and of course having time for that because, you know, I <laughs> didn't already have children and, um. Just I can still remember all the little pink stripes and the little white things with ruffled collars, and gosh, I loved it so much um and then, uh when Lily was born, she was one of those babies who just spat up constantly she couldn't <laughs> ever keep her food down and so and it and it was constant she never she never was not spitting up she and so and so quickly what we realized once we realized like oh this is a thing with her and it's not going away i mean her pediatrician told us pretty early on this will probably be what she's doing for the next nine months Ugh. like this isn't you know it's not hurting her it's just it, right. it is her just undeveloped system and so she will she'll it, but it'll probably take nine months before you know as she gets closer to one mm. uh this will you know slow down and eventually to go away so you don't need to worry about it um Listo, it was so bad that she had a, a sore like her, her little fat baby folds in her neck yeah. would get sore and irritated. Like Aww. we would have to like take a little washcloth and be like cleaning out her little neck rolls oh, no. <laughs> because they'd be inflamed because she was always oh, spitting up. Wow. So the thing about the clothes is that <laughs> she had this adorable newborn wardrobe, but quickly we realized that we just had to keep her covered in bibs and in burp cloths all the time, as well as ourselves. So oh, we would wow. put the cute little clothes on her <laughs> And then we went out and bought something. I hadn't even pre-purchased bibs, right? I thought bibs were when your right. baby starts to eat real food. Right. So, we had no bibs. So, we we immediately, I, I think it was one of the first things we did after she came home from the hospital is so we went to a baby store um, because there wasn't even really online shopping then. We actually went to a baby store and bought like pounds. Pack, packets and packets of bibs oh. so that we could just trade them out constantly. So she had these little velcro bibs and so they covered every one of her adorable little outfits. So maybe we would whip off a bib and take a picture and then a bib would go back on and she'd spit up and then a new bib and then she'd spit up and then a new bib and you could you couldn't hand her to anyone. You know oh, people want to hold a baby. Yes, yes. We couldn't hand her to anyone without saying, "Please cover yourself with this birth cloth because <laughs> she like, will spit maybe up you on spit you." spit up
0: ponchos for
1: everybody. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, so we I I was a constantly draped in a burp cloth. John was constantly draped in a burp cloth and we just traded out these ratty little sour smelling bibs (laughs) constantly. (laughs) And so, yeah, there was my expectation, like this adorable baby wardrobe and the reality. And of course, you know, there was more to parenting than just the spit up, but that was a big check. Like, Oh, oh, this isn't going to be as pretty as I thought. (laughs) And it's going to smell bad, and it's really messy and gross, and there's nothing I can do about it. This is part of loving Lily.
0: (laughs) Well, I was like Jim Gaffigan to you at the time in the sense that I hadn't had kids, so he writes about what his perception was before he had children. (laughs) And I will never forget your, was it like third floor walk-up? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Condo in Chicago. And I'll never forget going out with you a little stroll with Lily in the stroller. And when we got back, you like went into a tirade, which is very unlike you. So by <laughs> tirade, I don't mean you yelled, but you just like had you like a litany of verbiage came out of you <laughs> about your disgruntled feeling towards your neighbors because they wouldn't let you just leave the stroller. In the little lobby area, they insisted you fold it up and put it in like a little coat closet that was down in the lobby that was shared by all the tenants. Right, right. And you just went on and on. And I remember thinking, I confess, thinking, dude, what is the big deal? Just fold up the freaking stroller. Like, why must they all walk around your stupid stroller? Like, I was like, why is this a thing for Christy? I don't even understand. And you were like talking about how hard it is because you have to carry baby and groceries and now you have to fold up a stroller. And why do they? And I just zoned out and thought, wow, that seems like an overreaction. Like, why can't you Mm -hmm. just be a good neighbor and fold up your stroller, man? Mm -hmm. And then I had children. And I (laughs) remember thinking on days when I too was coming in with a baby and a stroller and groceries, like, oh, yes, you actually can break down and start weeping over Mm -hmm. this task and wonder, why doesn't anybody help me? I remember being at malls where people just walk past you and don't hold the door open and just wanting to weep hysterically and yell at everybody. And in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, Chrissy. Mm -hmm. And that's what this chapter is. The first chapter of the book is actually called Rue the Day. Because one of his friends <laughs> says to him when he is this cavalier about a similar moment, You will rue the day. Rue you the day. Do this. <laughs> so I'm just going to read. It's actually a few pages because I think sometimes we just need to laugh. And laughter is such a gift, especially when it coincides with the sacred, because there are these things in our lives that are sacred and heavy and beautiful and meaningful. And yet, they are also bizarre and weird, and it's hard to know how to handle them. And laughter is an appropriate response. And um, I'll just add this. I don't know if anybody else is watching the wonderful TV series, The Chosen, that's being put out on YouTube um, telling this new version of the story of Christ. And the Christ character is so surprising because he really has this wonderful sense of humor. <laughs> And he -hmm, laughs with his disciples, and he teases about Peter. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the wedding, after he's turned water into wine, they dance like Jewish men would have at a wedding. And But they all joke and say, you know, John has got like four legs when he dances, and Jesus says, I've got to see this. Come on, John, you know, get out (laughs) here. And it's just so wonderful to imagine Jesus laughing. And, of course, why wouldn't he? You know, we're created in his image. so. I think if you are having a hard week, sit down wherever you are right now or, you know, do that, get ready to do that task you don't want to do, folding laundry or putting away dishes or responding to emails. And I'm going to read and I hope it's just a gift to you. And it certainly will be to Christy and I. I'm sure that. we <laughs> So here's the scene. Jim is newly married to Jeannie, his wife. They are going on a vacation with another couple. They're going to the Grand Canyon, and the other couple have just had their first baby. And Jim and Jeannie don't have a baby yet and clearly have no clue. And here we go. Jeannie and I arrived at night. We were much later than expected due to a flight delay. As we entered Tom's darkened house, we were instructed to please be quiet so as not to wake the baby. I felt like a teenager sneaking back into my parents' house after a missed curfew. We silently tiptoed into a guest room, giggling. I feel like we're in trouble, Chini whispered. Once we settled in the room, Tom came in and said goodnight, announcing that we would be leaving around 7 a.m. for the Grand Canyon, so he wanted to get a good night's sleep. As Tom shut the door, Jeannie looked at me, confused, and said, I thought you said we would have dinner or something. I looked at my watch. It was 9 p.m. I thought, well, he is a parent. I guess that is what parenting involves. This must be what grown-ups do. They skip their second dinner. (laughs) (laughs) The next morning, at the crack of 7 a.m., we set off to make the long, scenic drive to the Grand Canyon. Tom Saab was seated with men in front and ladies in back, with the one-year-old in the car seat between them. I suppose the first really big red flag of the trip was the fact that there was one CD allowed to be played in the car. <laughs> it was explained to us that this CD was meant to soothe the baby. The volume would be occasionally adjusted based on the baby's needs. <laughs> um, okay, So we drove and drove talking and listening to songs with lyrics like ding-a-dong-dong, (laughs) ding-a-dong-dong. If you haven't driven through the Southwest, the only thing more awe-inspiring than the beauty of the landscape is the absence of people. You can drive for hours and never see another person. Restaurants are scarce, expensive, and provide little selection. When we stopped for an early lunch, I ate my first and hopefully last taco salad with Fritos as the main ingredient. <laughs> we drove past a drive through beef jerky store. Not just a store that only sells beef jerky, but a drive through store that only sells beef jerky. <laughs> I guess the drive through makes sense because if you're eating beef jerky, you're probably so busy that you don't have time to get out of your car to buy beef jerky. At one point, I started improvising what the owner of the drive-thru beef jerky store was thinking when he came up with the idea for the store. In a ridiculous voice, I said, For all them folks that are in a rush and ain't got time to park the pickups and shop for some quality jerky. It was kind of funny. At least Jeannie and Tom thought so. Tom's wife, Barb, another name change, politely informed me that the voice I was doing was upsetting the baby. I looked back at the baby, who was sound asleep. I didn't know what to say. I just shut up. <laughs> we drove the rest of the way to the Grand Canyon in complete silence, listening to the soothing baby CD. <laughs> ding, dong, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. We arrived at the Grand Canyon around 1 p.m. The governor runs the Grand Canyon hotels, so they feel more like army barracks. We were standing in line for our housing assignment when Tom's wife announced that the baby needed to go outside. The baby didn't actually say he needed to go outside, but somehow Barb knew that the baby needed to go outside. Either way, Jeannie and I stayed behind to stand in line. Before escorting Barb, who was escorting the baby, who wanted to go outside, Tom told me that our reservation was for two side-by-side rooms and to make sure they confirmed that the rooms were side-by-side. After waiting for another half hour, I reached the counter and was informed that if we wanted side-by-side rooms, it would be an additional hour-long wait. I said that wouldn't be necessary. We would take rooms in different areas. As they were handing me the keys, actual keys, I might add, Tom approached, are the rooms side-by-side? I explained that no, if we wanted that, we would have to wait for another hour. Hearing this, Tom got really agitated. He seemed incredibly disappointed in me and demanded that the lady behind the counter give us side by side rooms and that we didn't mind waiting. I minded waiting, but again, I kept my mouth shut. After wasting an hour, we unloaded our stuff in our side by side rooms and set off to hike the Grand Canyon. Tom and Barb had lived in the area for a while and were experienced at hiking around the Southwest, so they came prepared. Tom gave us special backpacks filled with water, and the baby was secured in a backpack with a sun guard on Barb's back. It felt like we were smuggling the new Dalai Lama out of Tibet. Gears secured, we were all set, and off we went. Twenty minutes into the hike, the baby squeaked a little. Barb immediately announced, well, we have to go back. The baby needs a nap. For a moment, I thought she was joking, but then I realized something horrific They thought we were going to go back, too. It had taken us longer to get the unnecessary gear than the time we had hiked. I looked to Jeannie, who was clearly disappointed that she had traveled so far to visit the Grand Canyon for the first time, and the day was about to end. She just looked at me. Well, I guess we have to go back. In a rare moment of chivalry, I blurted out, Well, we're going to go on. This may be our only time to do this. That's cool, right? After a pause that took way too long, Barb said, Of course, we'll just go. Come on, Tom. Tom seemed frazzled again and asked, How long do you think you guys are going to be? I looked down at the long winding path, trying to get a glimpse of the Colorado River miles below. I don't know, an hour or two? Well, please knock at our door when you get back. Wow, I mean, I'm not that out of shape. After they left, I realized that Jeannie and I had not had a conversation alone since the beginning of the trip. I don't know what's going on, Jeannie said, but I grew up around a lot of babies, and normally babies will nap wherever they are. Not wanting to gossip about my good friend, I just assumed we were ignorant about how daunting the task of having a one-year-old would be, so I gave Tom the benefit of the doubt. Hiking into the Grand Canyon is not easy, but I did it. Unpaid, I might add. I was disappointed to find out that when we were done hiking, we had to climb back out of the Grand Canyon. There were no elevators. Can you believe that? Jeanie loved it. My legs burned. I was really exhausted, but I acted like I loved it. Upon returning to our hotel room, we were surprised to see Barb and Tom sitting outside their room next door. Did they get locked out? A weary Tom explained, we just got the baby to sleep. I remember thinking, is this baby ever awake? <laughs> As I unlocked the door to our room, Barb and Tom followed us in and sat on one of the beds. Tom picked up the remote control and started flipping through the three available channels. I apologized and said I needed to take a nap before dinner. Could they possibly watch TV in their own room? Tom and Barb seemed shocked. We can't turn on the TV in our room, Tom snapped. The baby is sleeping in there. We were hoping we could hang out and watch TV in your room while the baby napped. We've been waiting for you to get back for two hours. I was confused. Was this what parenting was about? I explained that my legs really hurt and I was really tired and I needed a nap. Tom, obviously trying to contain his anger, asked if after I was done with my nap, I could kindly knock at their door so they could come into our room. Again, I apologized that I was barely able to walk. I had to lie down for an hour or I would be done for the rest of the evening. Barb and Tom stormed out. Well, that was awkward, said Jeannie. She went to take a shower and do girl stuff while I fell sound asleep with my shoes on for 45 minutes. Upon waking from my nap, I lightly knocked on their door and we gathered to head to dinner at some government cafeteria. Barb, already in pajamas, didn't want to go. When I asked if we could bring her something, she curtly replied, I ate my dinner already with the baby. It's fine. Just go without me. That's just the life of a mother can I use your bathroom to brush my teeth? Um, Sure, I wouldn't want your raucous teeth brushing to disturb the baby. On the walk over, I noticed Tom was being very quiet. When I asked if there was anything wrong, he stopped, looked down, and chuckled. You won't understand till you're a parent. I won't understand what. He condescendingly explained, you will rue the day you took that nap. Rue the day? I've rude a lot of days in my life, but I've never rude about a nap. It dawned on me in that moment that the importance of the adjoining rooms was that the baby needed his own room and the other room was actually for the four of us. It was meant to serve as a break room from attending to the baby and escape from the arduous chore of parenting. Again, I apologize, but couldn't help but think if the rules had been explained at the beginning of the trip, the situation could have been avoided. It seemed to me that the logical thing would have been to outline the arrangement before I had screwed up the break room situation. And even more logical thing would have been to get three rooms and just admit that the baby needed his own room. I was pretty sure that would have allowed us to escape a whole lot of awkwardness. But then, then again, I had never been abducted by aliens. Tom accepted my apology and the next day we drove back on the long desert highway It was a relatively quiet drive, except for the CD of baby music. Ding-a-dong, ding-ding. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a huge deer ran out in front of the car. Tom swerved to avoid it, but the deer froze like, well, a deer in the headlights. We slammed into the deer at 50 miles an hour. All of us screamed in shock. The car was totaled. The deer ran off, injured into the desert. Aside from the deer, everyone was fine, thank God, especially the baby, who didn't wake up from his nap.
1: <laughs> oh, how funny. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Is it terrible that I'm, like, trying to fix the whole situation? I'm like, why didn't they ask for the keys to the I other know! bedroom? While they
0: <laughs> and I remember having these experiences myself when we had yeah. little, when we had Jackson and Actually, remember a really terrible trip we took to the beach with my brothers who were unmarried and didn't have children. We had this baby, and it just—everything they wanted to do, I was exhausted and thought, I have to bring the baby with me. And they never volunteered like, oh, I'll watch her this afternoon. Why don't you get a nap? Or I'll hold her on the beach. Or they just never thought any of those things. They just assumed we'd be fine and we could just manage Mm -hmm. the baby. And as a parent, you're like, I'm supposed to be managing this baby, but I'm so tired and why won't somebody give me a break? It's so traumatic.
1: Mm -hmm. And I just think that
0: book has been so affirming to be able to laugh when you look back at how hard it is.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. While you're reading, I had vivid memories of Just a few trips we took, again, with just our our firstborn, and how, you're right, like, out on the surface, or even if you're a parent, but you're a parent of a different kind of baby, because babies are so different. But, you know, we didn't know, but now I understand, having had more children, our firstborn was um, highly sensitive to all kinds of stimuli and um, absolutely dependent on regular sleep Mm. schedules. She was not any stretch of the imagination, a flexible baby. (laughs) So, I can remember, yeah, trips were completely dependent on whether the hotel room would have a walk-in closet where we could stick her pack and play Mm. so that she could be, we wouldn't shut the door all the way, but where she could be in in darkness and where she couldn't see us. Because if she could see us, she would lie there or she would stand there when she was a little bit older and just look at us and never go to sleep. And then she would it would be it would be disaster. Like everything would totally. be ruined, right? right. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I, again, even now looking back, I'm like, was it that bad? But I can remember being in it, and it's they. Yeah, if you have an inflexible baby, like I'm, I'm with the barb and the tom, right? <laughs> the, like, you yes. you learn like you always feel like you're on this cliff edge of disaster, <laughs> and you have to be perfectly attentive. <laughs> I in know. order to avoid it, right, my dad
0: always used to say, "Nobody is as regimented as a baby. Like they are like dictators in how they thrive on routine and regimentation. They want things to be the same. yeah, and um, yeah, I have many of those feelings myself of just remembering feeling inadequate all the time because you're trying to intuit some something's needs, like what are their needs like?" And I was laughing yesterday because Micah was just loving our dog. He just loves her so much. And he gets up with her and takes her potty and brushes her. And he just was like, is this what it's like being a parent, mom? It's just like this, (laughs) isn't it? You just love it so much. And there's actually a whole chapter in this book where he talks about people who compare like having a puppy to having a baby. Uh. (laughs) And I said to him... I mean, sure, it's the same, except that, you know, if you're tired of your baby, you can't just put it in a crate and let it deal with itself, you know, (laughs) like, you you can't, you don't have the same options as you have to opt out when you're done and don't want to deal with the baby anymore. Oh, and I think so much of life is like that. You just, you can't opt out, Mm -hmm. and I think that's what makes it hard. There's many seasons where you just are like, I wish I could just get a pass Mm -hmm. for just a few Mm -hmm. days, like... Where's the pass I can get from whatever this thing is that I'm going through?
1: Right. Can I just step away from this whole situation for, you know, just give me a
0: week or so and then I'll come back refreshed, ready to go. I just need a break room, you know, like Barb and yeah. Tom. I just need like that extra room where yeah. I can go hang out and just be in it. Oh. And I remember vividly when I was little, my mom getting so frustrated in the evenings when my dad would finally get home from work and we were supposed to be in bed. But then they'd be watching a movie and I would crawl out and like want to hang out with them. And my dad would always invite me, and mm. then my mom would be so irritated mm. and be like, "It's just our time. Like, can't you mm-hmm. give us some privacy?" And I would think, "What's your deal, man? Like, this is so fun. We're all hanging out." <laughs> and literally, I said those words to my children last night. Like, "Why are you still in this room? Like, yeah. please go away. It's ten thirty. Daddy and I are hanging out." Yeah. And then my son was like, "Why can't you guys hang out in the bedroom?" And I'm like, "Because we own this house. Right. Like, This <laughs> is pay our the house, mortgage, man." Son. <laughs> you go hang out in your bedroom <laughs>
1: yeah you know all this is just making me wonder lisa jo like you know so the the lily i've been telling stories about is almost 18 right i am so many years from these experiences and have i have i held on to my awareness of what it's like of how hard it can be you know when right. I, if i'm around young moms or Young parents in my life now. Am I filled with understanding and compassion, or have I right. morphed back into, you know, Genie and and Jim, right? And Jim. <laughs> or even if it's not parents, it's just other people. Maybe in situations I've never walked through, or I, I can't. I can't actually know what it's like to do what right. they're doing. Um, right. Yeah, am I judging? Am I? Um, not understanding or right. am I in humility accepting like I don't know what that is like. So right. you know how can I how can I support them? Let me maybe actually ask them, hey, what kind of you know what kind of help could you use? Right. Is there anything I could do? Like I don't know, Lisa Joe, I'm a little bit convicted that I'm not sure. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've held on to that. but I'm also thinking like what a gift comedians are, right? So this is something I've learned through um, through my husband who loves to laugh, who loves comedy, who um, when things get tense is always going to be the one to make a joke. <laughs> and it used to really frustrate me because I'm a very serious person and I didn't really value that part of him. It felt... Yeah, comedy is just not my my thing. It's not, you know, my natural mode is always gonna be like melancholy and you know, sad things and gloomy things <laughs> and moody things, but right? Whereas he's always um drawn to, you know, lighthearted, jokey things. And, um, you know, part of maturing in our marriage and in love for Him is realizing, like, what a gift that is um, when life is very serious. And, of course, we need people who can, um, like myself, who can, you know, handle that and be present in that. Um, But like the Jesus we're seeing in the Chosen, you know, series, life isn't only that. And we need those people who— In their truth-telling, I think that's, you know, when comedians are really, really funny, it's because it's so true, right? Right. And so, in their truth-telling, they're not lying, they're not distracting, they're not um, pretending it's otherwise. They are telling the truth, but they're allowing us to see the truth now as this, like, lighter thing and not feel it like this heavy burden. So, I I think of that night when you and I and Peter and John, you know, first watched Jim Gaffigan together. I think it was that sense of the truth-telling, of being seen, right? Like our hard situations, mm-hmm. our tired selves, we were seen, we were mm-hmm. known, <laughs> right? And right. then we could laugh together. And, right. and just in the laughing, it becomes less heavy, less right. burdensome. So, I, I've i learned to be so, so grateful, so grateful for the comedians in our midst. And to see that really as like this holy work of truth-telling and of mm-hmm. carrying one another's burdens, right? We can carry one another's burdens mm-hmm. when we when we tell a joke. And I love that, you know, your kids are <laughs> maybe at they're your expense a little bit, right? That they're carrying that on in your family. And that, that can even be a way of loving one another. It's not always taking ourselves and others so right. seriously you know right. and that you and Peter right. can receive the jokes I think is is so great
0: <laughs> yes here's to the gift of laughter may we enjoy it today and see it and offer it to others and to those who are not laughing because they're in a really hard season mm-hmm. may we figure out a way to be a life preserver when they're drowning yeah. Because that's how that night felt for us I think it felt like it we were, we were being rescued from drowning through the gift of laughter and friendship, and I will always be grateful for it. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image.
1: And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.